this ritual here to get started. And I certainly appreciate your patience while I do that. All right. Okay. Good evening. Hope you're ready to study the book of Revelation. Chapter 8. So let's turn there. Revelation chapter 8. While you're turning there, let me make a few quick announcements. Please uh, don't forget that uh, this coming Monday we're going to be starting Vacation Bible School. So I hope you've been praying every day for the teachers and for the students and for the staff and for everybody that's, that's um, uh, tirelessly preparing for uh, the work that is ahead. Um, and uh, I think there's still opportunity if you want to help out to do that, but just uh, call the office and check with, um, I don't know who, check with us, check, check with Pastor Sam, because Pastor Sam is uh, uh, doing a lot with that, and, uh, and so we will get you doing something if you want to help out. And then uh, I do want to continue to encourage you, if you haven't uh, gotten your form already, if you are interested in going to Israel, you do need to pick it up from the office, and then you need to take the information. If you are going to go, you need to fill out the form and then uh, get in touch with Inspire Travel, either send it to them or call them, and, and they'll let you know what, uh, what you need to do to get on the list. We need to get you on the list right away, because the quicker we do it, the, the more secure our seats are on the plane and everything else. So it's, it's really important that we get, uh, we get started on that project. So the uh, trip itself is uh, going to be March the 9th through the 20th of March. It's a 12-day trip, and uh, that's in 2014. So it seems like a long time, but it's not. It's just around the corner very quickly. So I encourage you to, uh, uh, to get uh, involved with that. So Revelation chapter 8. I think that's all of my announcements. Revelation chapter 8. The text that we're going to focus our attention upon will be verses 6 through 13, the rest of the chapter. We started last week in the beginning of chapter 8. And uh, if you remember, of course, the uh, seventh seal was open. And when it was open, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. The calm before the storm. But a few things happened as we studied last time, and I'll refer to a few things tonight about it. But before we begin, I just want to encourage you that as we read this particular passage of Scripture, And as we see the judgments that are going to come upon the earth, please realize that when people ask the questions, how can God be so judgmental, or how can He be so cruel, as it were? Um, we, We have to come to grips with the truth that There has been this age of grace for so many thousands of years that He's given people opportunity to come to know Him. 
That opportunity has never been covered or kept from anyone. All along, the problem hasn't been God. The problem is us. The problem is the fact that the enemy deceived Adam and Eve in the garden and sin came in to the picture and ever since then death has has reigned people die we're born and we die God still is merciful God still made himself known to Adam and Eve God showed mercy to them God gave them a way of 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 uh, Dealing with those sins, which, which was a picture, actually, a picture of Jesus Christ, His only begotten Son. When He took a lamb, and, or maybe even a couple of lambs, and, uh, and, and sacrificed them, and took the skins and covered Adam and Eve with them. But ever since then, man began to die. And man began to toil. Man began to sweat. And then man began to bleed. And then man began to cause bleeding upon others. And man began to take life. And man began to sin more and more against the things of God. And please understand that those things grieve God. Sin grieves God. So, please realize how much God loves us. Please realize the love of Christ poured out for us. Realize that John 3.16 is not a, a cliche, but it is, in fact, the very truth that for the most part has brought us all here tonight. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Verse 17, For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. Now keep those two verses in mind, because at the end of the study, we're going to see a verse that follows that. A couple of verses. And we see that the problem is man. That God has sent His Son To help man, not to condemn man. And so in verse 6, where's my little clicker? Here it is. In verse 6 it says, So the seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared, prepared them to sound. Now remember that when the seventh seal was broken, this ushers in now the seven trumpet judgments. The seventh seal, in fact, contains the seven judgments. So there were six seals broken. We saw those six, those, uh, those six um, uh, seal, uh, I should say, yeah, the seal judgments. Got a little distracted here by my machine making noise. But um, the seventh seal contains now the more intense judgments. So as I said before, uh, there is some chronology here, but there's also some uh, broadness as to when things happen. 
so when we get into the seven uh, trumpet judgments, we are more than likely at the beginning or around the beginning of the great tribulation period, which is the last three and a half years of the judgment of the seven years of tribulation. So the seven angels who had sa- uh, the seven trumpets prepared uh, themselves to sound. And verse 7 says, the first angel sounded. A trumpet is, is played. This is not the same trumpet of 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. We talked about this last week. It is not the same trumpet of 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Where it, it tells us in both passages that the Lord is going to, you know, at that sound, He's going to, uh, you know, the dead in Christ shall rise, and then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up. That's not the same trumpet. That trumpet's a trumpet of joy. This is not. Please, please understand there's a significance. And there is a distinction, and there is a difference. The first angel sounded, and notice what happens. And hail and fire followed, mingled with blood, and they were thrown to the earth. And a third of the trees were burned up, and all green grass was burned up. Let me tell you a very quick story. A very wicked Scottish lawyer. So if you're an attorney, we ask the Lord to, you know, forgive us in telling you this story. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> a very wicked Scottish lawyer once hired a horse from a certain man. And either through accident or ill usage, the lawyer killed the animal. Naturally, the owner insisted on being paid the horse's value, together with some compensation for the loss of its use. The lawyer acknowledged his liability, and he said that he was perfectly willing to pay, but at the moment he was a little strapped for cash, for ready cash. So he asked the, he asked the owner of the animal if he, if he would accept a promissory note, and the owner said, well, certainly. Whereupon, the lawyer further said that he must be allowed a long date, you know, to pay, or a time, a long extension to pay. So the owner said to him, well, you can fix your own time. So the wicked lawyer then drew a note, making it payable, notice, he made it payable at the day of judgment. Eventually, the owner-creditor took the matter to court. And there, in defense, the lawyer asked the judge to look at the note. He did so, and the judge replied, Now see here, the promissory note is perfectly good, sir. And as this is your day of judgment, I declare you pay tomorrow. (laughs) So that particular lawyer had a little bit of a problem because he faced his judge. It was his day of judgment. Well, you know, as we continue on in our study of the book of Revelation, what we have been seeing over the last couple of chapters, notwithstanding our time spent in heaven's worship, what we've been seeing is, in fact, the day of judgment in the scriptures. The great and awesome day of the Lord. Now, this being not so much a day, but as a time frame. A time frame really of about seven years. Of great judgment. A judgment that begins with deception. People are crying for peace and safety. So peace and safety come deceptively. And then sudden destruction 
comes with it. And then after that, wars and famines, plagues and death. Seven years of that. There are little hints of that going on in the world and have been going on for a good, good long while. But there is an intensification of those particular hints in our society and in our culture and in our day and in our time. As we are studying the book of Revelation at this juncture of chapters 6 through 8 so far, the tribulation period in these passages has come. And the wrath of God is being poured out upon a Christ-rejecting world. Now I have to keep reminding you that it is not just that God is judging a Christ-rejecting world, but within these seven years, God is also dealing with the nation of Israel. The nation of Israel is not yet where it needs to be to fulfill all of Scripture, but it is heading in that way. The first major hint that it's heading in that way is the fact that there is an Israel to begin with. Today, at this hour, at this time. And since 1948, when they were declared a nation again, the prophetic time clock, to to some extent, started up again. And God loves His people. But they're going to go through a tremendous time of suffering. And this was something that they had been warned about, not just by the prophets like Isaiah and Jeremiah. They were warned about this all the way back to the book of Deuteronomy. They were given warnings. And prophetic words were given that they needed to stay close to their God. They needed to stay serving their God. They needed to continue to honor their God. They needed to trust in their God. They needed to have faith in their God. But we know what happened. So always remember that when the judgments are happening, they're happening not uh, as if uh, no one was given warning. Both the unbelieving world, the unchrist following world, and the Jewish people who should have seen their Christ and their God, but they missed Him when He came. So, again, the wrath of God is being poured out upon a Christ-rejecting world. Tonight, we're going to be looking at at the second form of judgments, the trumpet blast or the trumpet judgments. So, so far we have seen the seven seal judgments, the seventh which opens up, as I said, the seven trumpet judgments which follow the half hour of silence in heaven. But let's go back a couple of verses as we get into our study this evening. Uh, Let's go back to verse 4. Just to give you a a little bit of a a run into this this next section. The, the, The smoke of the incense, it says... Remember that, we're, that there was incense that was brought before the Lord. And incense, of course, is, is, uh, uh, gives us a picture of the, the prayers of the saints uh, being lifted up unto the Lord, unto the nostrils of the Lord, as it were. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints ascended before God from the angel's hand. We talk about the fact that the angel went out to where the, the labor was, where the, where the coals were, and brought it in to offer it with the prayers of the saints. And then it says, Then the angel took the censer, 
filled it with fire, and this is the part I'm describing, filled it with fire from the altar and threw it to the earth. That's, that's the amazing thing here. He, he gets this incense and he throws it to the earth. Now, what's in the, what's in the censer? The coals and the prayers, in essence. And, and he threw it to the earth and there were noises, thunderings, lightnings, and an earthquake. So, the seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared themselves to sound. That was their cue to get ready for each trumpet to sound. For each judgment to come. With, a, with that potent force that we call the prayers of the saints. And I have to encourage you, folks, that it is a potent force when we pray to God with all of our heart. When we truly lift up our prayers to the Lord with humble and sincere hearts, that is powerful. That is powerful. Never think that your prayers don't reach the Lord. Your heart is bowed down to Him. He hears your prayers. And He responds to them. But you've got to trust Him. And you've got to keep yourselves pure. But with that potent force we call the prayers of the saints, the petitions are placed on the scales of judgment. And in an ever-mysterious way, prayer does change things. That's an interesting picture here. Prayers are offered, and then all of a sudden, judgments happen. Now, we know judgments are going to happen anyway, because God said they're going to happen. But I, but I like the very fact that the Lord would not let us go on from here without showing how powerful our prayers are. And how powerful the prayers of saints are. In that coming day, the angel of the Lord, who many times, you know, when we look at that in the Old Testament, we see the Lord himself. But the angel of the Lord is going to come forward and he's going to add to the groans and the cries of the saints, the perfume and the fragrance of his finished work. Think about that with the coals. What does that represent? The coals, the fire of offering. What was the greatest offering and sacrifice ever given but that of Jesus Christ Himself? The finished work of Jesus Christ. Our prayers today, if we truly believe in Jesus Christ, are based upon the finished work of Christ. That's why we can come to the Lord with confidence. Because He finishes everything that He starts. So... Here is this the addition to the prayers, the, the, the perfume, the fragrance of his finished work. But now, let's remember this. Prayer never reaches God in the clumsy, inept, and feeble way it leaves our lips. I have to say that because sometimes that's the way I feel. When I'm praying, I, I, you know, I just feel like I'm stumbling, mumbling, bumbling. Well, Lord, you know, and I'm, we're not talking speaking in tongues here, man. It's just like, I don't know what to say. You understand that? Prayers never reach God in the clumsy way that it leaves our lips. And I'll tell you why. The Holy Spirit energizes our prayers. The Holy Spirit energizes our prayers and makes them a force to be reckoned with in the universe. 
Now, we may not think of ourselves in such a way. I, I certainly don't. And in and of ourselves, you know, how can that be? But why is there such an emphasis of prayer? Jesus taught us the pattern of prayer. Paul encouraged us to pray without ceasing. Prayer is important in the life of the believer in Jesus Christ. Prayer is is something that is to take place in every step that we take. I don't mean that we walk around with our hands clasped and get in a robe, you know, walk around. Unless you pray in your robe in the morning, but, you know. The fact of the matter is, we should always be in communication with God. We should always be in communication with our Lord and Savior. Because He's always in communication with us. And that's how much He loves us. The Holy Spirit energizes our prayers and the risen Lord's endorsement of our prayers make them a force to be reckoned with. So consider what the Apostle Peter, quoting from Psalm 34, writes. He says in 1 Peter 3, verse 12, he says, For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and His ears are open to their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Now, folks, again, I I know I mentioned this this past weekend, but are we righteous? In and of ourselves, we're not. But what are we? We are those who are clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Therefore, we are righteous in Christ. And when we walk in the righteousness of Christ, God, he, 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 His eyes are on us. He watches over us. He cares for us. His ears are open to our prayers. So now, in direct answer to prayer, the Lord acts by setting in motion the trumpet judgments. Now, preliminary rumblings are heard, foretelling and sanctioning the great upheaval soon to take place. We are told of noises. Uh, in King James it says voices. So there are noises of voices. Uh, literally, because it comes from the word phone, P-H-O-N-E. Well, we know what that is. That's phone, you know. So there's some sense of making sound, which is communication for us. So it's noises or voices, uh, thunderings, lightnings, and earthquakes. You know, when we go back to the reception of the law, back in uh, Exodus chapter 19, the very same thing is stated when the people gathered around Mount Sinai. The noises and the thunderings and the lightnings were taking place. Why was that significant and how is that tied into this? Because we're dealing with law. We're dealing with the fact that God gave His law for us to know who He is. But He also gave us His law to let us know that in our flesh we cannot keep that law by ourselves. The law always has been, always, our schoolmaster. Our tutor to lead us to Christ. That's what Paul teaches us in Galatians chapter 3. That the law is our tutor. But there is a standard that God is setting. God says, I have a standard. I have a law. It needs to be kept. And it needs to be followed. But I'll strengthen you to do it. I'll give you the wisdom to do it. I'll give you the spirit to do it. The idea of, of, of keeping the law, you know, 
the Jewish people say, okay, we can keep it. Oh, are these only ten laws? We can do that? They couldn't. Not long after that, they practically broke all of them in the desert. And God was going to judge them all. And Moses intervened and you know the rest of the story. But law is important to God. As a matter of fact, in the New Testament, what do we learn about law? All the law has been fulfilled through Jesus Christ. Because He alone can fulfill the law perfectly. Therefore, when we receive Christ and accept the gospel and the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ, then the law is fulfilled for us. We are saved by grace and not by law. We are saved by grace through faith and that not of ourselves. It is the gift of God. So, understand then, there is a connection here. Noises, thunderings, lightnings, earthquakes, words used to describe in essence a formula. But in this case, here in Revelation chapter 8, it is a formula for catastrophe. It is a formula for catastrophe. This is repeated four times in Revelation. We just saw one. Look at Revelation 4. Go back to Revelation 4 verse 5. And from the throne proceeded lightnings, thunderings, and voices. Seven lamps of fire were burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. Why were there uh, lightnings, thunderings, and voices in Revelation 4? Isn't this the place where uh, the, you know, the 24 elders are worshiping before the Lord and the, and the, and, and the, um, the living beasts and all of that. They're worshiping before the Lord. Yeah, but what's coming? There's always that knowledge of the fact that they are before the throne of God, who is the God of all creation. And what's coming is this judgment. Revelation 11, verse 19. And then the temple... Of God was open in heaven, and the ark of his covenant was seen in his temple, and there were lightnings, noises, thunderings, an earthquake, and great hail. What was in the ark of the covenant, by the way? What was placed there? The tablets of the law. Right? Tablets of the law were placed in the ark of the covenant. Revelation 16, verse 18. And there were noises and thunderings and lightnings, and there was a great earthquake, such a mighty and great earthquake as had not occurred since men were on the earth. That, that's still yet to come. And we've already seen earthquakes happen. And there are going to be more happening between now. And then there's going to be the worst earthquakes going to take place. So, with that in mind, prayer that can hastily bring about such things has to be potent indeed. That, that, that's powerful prayer. And of course, most of that prayer comes from the saints that were waiting for the Lord to avenge them. Lord, how long? The tribulation saints who were under the altar, the prayers of the saints, the prayer of all the saints, gathered together in heaven. Potent prayer indeed. The prayers of God's people have been flung unto the scales and have tipped the balance in favor uh, of immediate resumption of judgment by heaven. Let's get, let's get this going. And just as the seals were divided into groups of four and three, so are the trumpets. If you remember the four horsemen, and then came the other three judgments. The seventh, of course, being the judgment that opened up the, the trumpet judgments. But here we have the same pattern, four and three. War is now intensified on the earth when it comes to 
judgment. And the judgments begin for us with a burned vegetation. Now, I mentioned last time that we needed to realize that uh, a lot of the judgments that were coming were going to come upon the earth. Coming upon the earth. And there's going to be a burned vegetation. Verse 7, let's look at that. The first angel sounded, and hail and fire followed, mingled with blood, and they were thrown to the earth. And a third of the trees were burned up, and all green grass was burned up. Hail and fire mingled with blood. The picture, folks, so you'll understand, is not that blood was raining down. So much so that there was enough hail and fire that was coming down upon the earth that it was causing the blood to mingle with that which had fallen upon the earth. That means people were were getting killed. People were getting hurt. Actually, really dying. So as the first trumpet sounds... One-third of the earth's vegetation will be destroyed. I say will be because, of course, we're looking at prophecy here. John has seen it as it has happened already. To prove to the, to, to the masses as well as to us that God's word is true. Every prophecy given about the coming of Jesus Christ was fulfilled. Every prophecy. The word of God is reliable. Do not believe those people who say, well, you know, there are all kinds of things that aren't true in the scriptures. Well, show me one. Well, look at this. Well, that might be, be an apparent uh, contradiction, but it, uh, an apparent contradiction does not mean that it's a contradiction. The Word of God can, can support itself. The more we understand the Word of God, the more we read the Word of God, the more we realize that there's no, there are no contradictions in the scriptures. So there, there have been all kinds of prophecies. The prophecies about Israel, what I mentioned about Israel before. People do not want to believe that the Israel that is in the land today is the Israel that God is going to deal with in this coming time of judgment. We'll talk about that more later. But most of us are aware of the damage that hail can cause, right? Even though here in El Paso it's, it's not a, as great as in other places, but it is pretty bad. Everybody's got to go to the insurance company because hail damages your car, damages your roof. I think I've had, we've, we've had a couple of roofs already changed because of that. Hail in the last 20 years or so. So we can attest to the devastating effects hail has on vehicles and homes and, and even vegetation. Some trees died, you know. Pretty bad uh, hail hit them and, you know, they're, they're gone. You have to replant other trees. So the hailstorm to come... We, we can just say that it could be magnified exponentially. It's not going to be like the hail here in El Paso. It may not even be like it was. At one time in Colorado, Colorado Springs, we're in, I mean, we were on golf ball size, almost baseball size hail, sitting under a bridge waiting for that thing to, to stop, uh, you know, uh, the hailstorm itself. And there's other places where it's even bigger. So the hailstorm that is to come that also is mingled with fire, that will mingle with blood, is going to be magnified exponentially. You'll, you'll notice that as we go through this book, the, the book of Revelation, we will take what the Lord has to say very literally, unless the text indicates otherwise. I think I've stated this before, but I'm just reminding you. We look at this book literally unless there is a context of, of symbolism. So... If one-third of the earth's vegetation is destroyed by this judgment, because that's what it says, 
If one-third of the earth's vegetation is destroyed by this judgment, we are sure to see widespread famine because of it. Vegetation would also include, and, and, and by the way, it does include it in the, in the original language, it is talking about, you know, when it talks about the trees, it's talking about trees that bear fruit. But it's also talking about the vegetation that grows for the sake of growing food. This famine that's going to come, Jesus talked about a famine that was going to come. It's happening. To some extent, it's even happening today in some places. But it's going to be worse when this devastation comes, when this catastrophe happens. This famine will affect both man and it will affect beast. And since the word, as I said, used for tree refers primarily to fruit trees, you also have to realize that the word for grass, when it talks about grass, it actually speaks not, you know, like the lawn out in front of your house. It's speaking of wheat Oats, rice, corn, that kind of of growth, and so on. It's going to destroy that. The food supply is going to be affected. The prophet Joel saw some of this coming for, as he looked ahead to the day of the Lord, he wrote the Lord's declaration in Joel 2.30, where he said, oops, went the wrong direction. Joel 2.30 where he says, And I will show wonders in the heavens and in the earth, blood and fire and pillars of smoke. I will show wonders in the heavens and in the earth. Things are going to be happening that have never happened before. Maybe they have been kind of copied by Hollywood and movies and, and all, but it's not even, Hollywood isn't going to even stand close to what's going to happen when God unleashes His judgment on this earth. You remember how the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. He destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah with fire in the, uh, from the sky. A similar judgment occurred in Egypt. In Exodus chapter 9, verses 22 through 26, when God is trying to get the attention of Pharaoh to let his people go, and the Pharaoh continues to say no, God sends plagues. To Egypt. But, but it's interesting that when you look at this whole issue of the plagues sent to Egypt, it isn't just a, a warning to the people of Egypt. He says to all, even the Jewish people, this is going to happen, so prepare. You remember about Passover? The Jewish people had to prepare for Passover. They had to go and do exactly as God told them, which was put the blood on the lintels and doorposts of your house so that when I see see it, I will pass over you. All of this was going to happen. It, it, It kind of gives us a picture that warning has come that these judgments are going to happen, but people are not listening. So there's, this, is, this is kind of a type of that here in, in Exodus. Then the Lord said to Moses, Exodus 9 verse 22, The Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand toward heaven, that there may be hail in all the land of Egypt. Now Moses had to be obedient to God. And Moses was the representative of God's people, but he said, You lift up your hand, stretch it toward heaven, that there may be hail in all the land of Egypt, on man, on beast, and on every herb of the field. Notice, on man, on beast, and on every herb of the field. It didn't say on just Egyptians. 
on every herb of the field, would that not affect the Jewish people that were living in Goshen at the time? And throughout the land of Egypt. And Moses obeyed the Lord and he stretched out his rod toward heaven and the Lord sent thunder and hail and fire darted to the ground and the Lord rained hail on the land of Egypt. So there was hail and fire mingled with the hail so very heavy that there was none like it in all the land of Egypt since it became a nation. And hail struck throughout the whole land of Egypt all that was in the field, both man and beast. And the hail struck every herb of the field and broke every tree of the field Only, notice, only in the land of Goshen, where the children of Israel were, there was no hail. Where do you think the Jewish people went? You think they were going to go out? Well, you know, the Lord will protect us. We'll just go out there with the Egyptians and, you know, play around in the hail. Sounds ridiculous, doesn't it? Of course. They were in the safety of the land of Goshen. In other words, they were nowhere in Egypt to be found, except in the land of Goshen, which was where they were staying, where God had saved them. What's interesting is how this passage was prefaced. It was prefaced with a warning. Look at, go back just to verse 19 of Exodus 9. Notice the warning here. Therefore, send now and gather your livestock and all that you have in the field, for the hail shall come down on every man and every animal which is found in the field and is not brought home, and they shall die. What is he doing? What is God doing? He's warning. Notice this. He who feared the Lord of uh, the word of the Lord among the servants of Pharaoh made his servants and his livestock flee to the houses. But he who did not regard the work of the Lord left his servants and his livestock in the field. Isn't that significant here? When people say, well, you know, why would God do this? Well, you know, how, can a, how can a loving God do this? Hey, He is loving. He's been giving you warnings time and 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 time time again. When are you going to listen? When are you finally going to come and listen to what God is saying to you? Because when the time comes that these things start to happen, And if we've been paying attention to what's going on in the world and what's going on in Israel, what's going on even in our own nation, because we were told that things were going to be very different before the coming of the Lord. Paul said perilous times would be coming. Men would be lovers of themselves, boastful, proud, arrogant, blasphemers. We live in a world of blasphemy. Just look at YouTube from time to time. Well, don't look at it very much, but look at it sometimes. No matter how hard you, you know, whatever it is, there are all kinds of blasphemies. Facebook. Honestly, those of you who know that I'm, you know, I've been, I, I, I get so, I'm not kidding you, I get so burdened being on there. I'm about to get off. So if I get off and you don't see me, it's because I just got tired of it. It's just ridiculous. 
And part of the problem is that sometimes Christians say, say things that I keep thinking, didn't you come to Bible study? Didn't you come to church? And then we say this, and you're saying that? None of you, of course. But it does bother me. And it does burden me. You know, the Lord has given plenty of warning. His word. From Genesis to Revelation. It's warning. People today want to be a part of the global community. Well, so they shall. So they shall. Facing the consequences of judgment. This is why it is so important for us to tell people about Jesus. To tell people why He came. To tell them why He died on the cross for the sins of the world, not just for the Jews, but for the Jews and the Gentiles, for all people. Someone told us, here we are on a Wednesday night looking into the very prophecies that are going to be fulfilled because God's Word will always be fulfilled. Listen to Psalm 11, verse 6. Upon the wicked he will rain coals. Fire and brimstone and a burning wind shall be the portion of their cup. Have they been given an opportunity? Of course they have. Hail and fire mingled with blood gives indication that many people will be killed when this judgment hits. But I want you to think of something. If pasture lands are devastated and farmlands are ruined, affecting our meat and vegetable uh, industry, If forests are destroyed so much so that the cost of housing construction skyrockets, will this not be a judgment aimed squarely at the religion of atheistic evolutionary environmentalism that encourages the worship of Mother Nature and not the God of creation? You ever thought about that? Boy, I have. The things that they teach our children today in public schools about, you know, environmentalism and and all of these things, all of that is rooted in evolution. It is rooted in godless atheism and, and secular humanism. It's all rooted in that. Save the planet, but kill babies. It's all right. No, it's not all right. And I can't believe that even in Texas today, you know, this fight over this bill that was, that was, that was brought up about, you know, the abortion, uh, you know, the time of uh, allowing, you know, the banning abortion at a late uh, uh, time or late period. And there, people are saying, oh, give us the right. You want rights just to kill? I mean, yes, abortion, you know, when you think about abortion as the law of the land. But how about thinking about the pain of, of the child? child is not just a, an embryo at that stage. They're living and breathing in essence. They're alive. Wow. But it's okay. We got signs that say, you know, hey, 
Christians. I, I saw something today that you know one of the one of the uh, protests you know that uh, Christians were on one side singing Amazing Grace, while on the other side it wasn't everybody, but on one on the pro pro choice side, everybody there was a few people saying you know Hail Satan type thing. You know, I said oh, there's always going to be somebody like that, but in a sense think about it. On one side we're singing Amazing Grace, trying to save the lives of children, and the other side you know they're saying Hail Satan. Who's really, at the, who's really at the core of all of this? Death. Satan is, because God is a God of life. For him to have to bring judgments like he's bringing, you think it pleases him? It doesn't. God is not pleased, it says in the book of Ezekiel, God is not pleased with the death of the wicked. He doesn't rejoice in the death of the wicked. The fact of the matter is, when we see this kind of judgment come, it comes because man has buried himself in his own judgments. Man is burying himself in his own judgments. It says that time and time again in the scriptures. God created all things for good. And by the way, doesn't the planet belong to him anyway? Doesn't the planet belong to God anyway? I think it does. Psalm 24, verses 1 and 2. The earth is the Lord's in all its fullness, the world and those who dwell therein. For He has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the waters. The, the earth is the Lord's. We've got to really go on really quickly here because I, I got behind on some issues here. But there's a next part. There's another trumpet that, that brings about not just a burned vegetation, but a boiling sea. A boiling sea. I want you to consider Revelation 8, verses 8 and 9. And then the, the, the second angel sounded, and something like a great mountain burning with fire was thrown into the sea, and a third of the sea became blood. And a third of the living creatures in the sea died, and a third of the ships were destroyed. I mean, you know, I, I love see life. I love animals. I love all of God's creation. I do. I mean, I really love them. And, you know, nature as, as God created it, you know, they, there is this sense after the fall, by, or I should say after the flood, you know, created animals, killing animals and all of that. that. That's part of nature as it is now because of the fall of man, by the way. But, again, we get to this point of man is trying so hard to save Animals and whales and seals and everything else. God says, okay. Can you save them from this? This is very sad. Because it's very clear from the text that this is not an actual mountain. You know, this mountain that it talks about, fiery mountain as it comes. So, so this gives us indication of a passage that shows whether it is to be interpreted as literal or symbolic by its context. Now, this does not mean that all of the verse is symbolic, as we shall see. But if we stay consistent with the previous passage, then the destruction itself is to be interpreted as literal. The destruction itself will be literal. And we'll talk a little bit about this mountain, by the way, in just a moment. But a third of all the sea creatures die. So to be consistent with the third of the, of the, of the uh, grass and the trees also being consumed... A third of the sea becomes blood. A third of the sea-going ships are destroyed. That includes people, folks. 
Because the fact that the sea is called the sea is significant. That would be the only sea that the Apostle John would know. And which sea would be that? The Mediterranean Sea. The disaster itself. And it's not to say that only on the Mediterranean Sea is all this going to happen because it's going to be worldwide. But the disaster itself will be a cataclysm, perhaps a meteor shower or a, a single large meteor or a, an exploding comet, a, an asteroid. I'm, try, I'm just trying to give you some pictures of what that mount, fiery mountain might be, as it were. An asteroid, even a nuclear event, or the result of an extremely large exploding volcano. We know that volcanoes can cause a lot of damage because there's fire inside. And the fire is, is building up and the pressure is building up. It's got to go somewhere. There's a hole on top of the mountain. That's where it's going to go out. And we've often heard the expression blowing the top off of something. Well, you know, the tops of these mountains are going to blow off when these things start happening. And they start happening because of great... By the way, they start happening because of great earthquakes. Earthquakes will be tied into a lot of the things that are going to be happening on a natural level on the earth when these judgments are taking place. Isn't a volcano a great mountain burning with fire? So, you know, it is. But it's going to crash into the sea causing an oceanic upheaval and a lingering and enduring pollution. Not to mention the tsunamis that will occur. And we've just seen recently, not too many years ago, of the tsunami that took place after the great earthquake that took, took place in Japan. And the tsunami that hit, uh, I mean, devastated that country. There's still places in Japan today that have not yet been completely uh, rebuilt. So with the sea becoming blood, it is possible that the death of the sea creatures is implied here. Or it can literally mean that it turns into blood as seen in the first plague of Egypt. I'm not going to go back and read all of that, but if you go back to Exodus chapter 7, verses 17 to 21, you can read about the first plague that that has the... uh, uh, the, uh, the, sea, uh, the Nile turning into blood. But here's, a, here's something that we need to think about. If, if there are 51,000 ships on the high seas at the present time, now, it, it, the U.S. Department of, of Transportation has, has estimated uh, a lower number in, uh, I think, like 24,000 ships. But I think those are like U.S. ships. So, but if you look worldwide, if there are 51,000 ships on the high seas at the present time carrying 1.5 million people, and a third of these ships are destroyed, that would be almost 17,000 ships destroyed at one time and the loss of some 500,000 people in this judgment alone. I mean, that's devastating. Those are devastating numbers. And chapter 16 will tell us that things are going to get worse. So we won't even go there yet. But Hosea chapter 4 verse 3, it says, Therefore the land will mourn, and everyone who dwells there will waste away with the beasts of the field and the birds of the air. Even the fish of the sea will be taken away. So the the prophecies exist not just in one place, but in other places. Zephaniah 1 verses 2 and 3. I will utterly consume everything from the face of the land, says the Lord. I will consume man and beast. I will consume the birds of the heaven, of the heavens, the fish of the sea, and the stumbling blocks along with the wicked. By the way, the stumbling blocks are idols. And there's, there, that doesn't mean just those made of stone and wood that are carved by man. 
it means whatever we make an idol, whatever we make more important than God, He will consume. He says, I will cut off man from the face of the land, says the Lord. God has given man ample opportunity to understand what is going to come, to respond to the love of Jesus Christ, to respond to the love of the gospel, to respond to the love of God toward man, who was made in His image, by the way. But then not only are we given a, a, a burned vegetation and a boiling sea, but how about a bitter star? A bitter star. Revelation 8, verses 10 and 11. And then the third angel sounded. And a great star fell from heaven, burning like a torch. And it fell on a third of the rivers and on the springs of water. The name of the star is Wormwood. A third of the waters became wormwood. And many men died from the water because it was made bitter. There, there is a lot of talk today in, in, in and around uh, security issues in our country and all about protecting our water supply from terrorism and, and, and all kinds of things. And that's certainly a, a threat to our country. Uh, and, and another reason why we need to be a lot more careful about uh, protecting our country. I, I don't understand the ideology or the philosophy of, of trying to keep our borders as open as they are, especially after 9-11. I just, it doesn't make sense. But, you know, that's, that's what, what's been happening. And a lot of talk is about how very little of any kind of, of a, a major po uh, a poison can, can actually pollute a complete water supply of cities or towns and even states and nations. So it's, it's, it's kind of something to really think about here when we see this happening. The action, because we see now the action moving onto land, but the effects are still upon the resources man needs to survive. The term used for star, by the way, is the, is the term aster, A-S-T-E-R, which, of course, we get words like asteroid and, and star and all that. But this assumes the, the use of an asteroid, let's say, falling from the sky to pollute the fresh water supply. The name wormwood simply means bitter, and it refers to a plant whose name in Greek is absinthos. Now, I don't know if you know or not, but there's a, there's a kind of a liqueur that's, that was very popular with writers and, and people back in the late 19th century, yeah, 19th century, early 20th century. It was called absinthe. And uh, they would drink it. It was actually some kind of a really poisonous type of a drink, you know. If it wasn't uh, prepared properly or, or right, I know some people kind of died from it, but it was a very strong liquor favored by many as a, an after-dinner drink, you know, but it was actually a killer kind of drink. But in the context of our, uh, of our text, the word means something that is undrinkable. Undrinkable and quite possibly deadly because of its poisonous effects. And so... This is part of the judgment that's coming upon uh, the world. A third of the world will lack the fresh water that its people need to survive. Now, I know that in some countries today, 
they're, they're lacking good water resources. We try to go and help them by sending filters and all kinds of other ways of, of purifying water. But can you imagine if a third of the, of the world is going to be suffering because our, our fresh water systems are, 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 are polluted and, and poisoned? Uh, that would include us. We would have to be doing what we've been trying to help other people do, and that is you know, find some kind of a, a good, clean water source. But it doesn't stop there. We go to the fourth, and we're going to close here very quickly here. But it's a blackened sky. We see a blackened sky. Revelation 8, verses 12 and 13. A blackened sky. The world's attention has been on the sea, has been on, 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 on the land as far as the, uh, the vegetation, the sea, and then it's up to the sky. Now, their attention has moved to the sky. The fourth angel sounded, and a third of the sun was struck. A third of the sun. A third of the moon. And a third of the stars. So that a third of them were darkened. A third of the day did not shine. And likewise the night. And I looked, John says, and I heard an angel flying through the midst of heaven. The word angel is very close also to the, to the uh, word for eagle. So it's quite possible that it's an eagle. But we'll talk about that later, not tonight. I heard an angel flying through the midst of heaven saying with a loud voice, Woe, woe, woe to the inhabitants of the earth because of the remaining blasts of the trumpet of the three angels who are about to sound. In other words, you think this is bad. There is a greater woe coming and there's three of them coming. Three more judgments of trumpets. The lessening of light, the, the description here, is, is not describing the lessening of light by one third as if everything just goes down a third. That, that would be the assumption. But in fact, one third of the day and night will be plunged into absolute darkness. If you thought it was dark at night, or if you think it's dark at night, it will be darker if the stars do not shine, if the moon is not shining because of the reflection of a, of a third of a sun destroyed. These are, I mean, truly cataclysmic events. But darkness will be even greater than ever before. Now, Jesus himself predicted this in the Olivet Discourse of Matthew 24 and Luke 21. In Matthew 24, come on now, work for me. In Matthew 24, verse 29, Jesus said immediately after the tribulation of those days. So there's an inclusion here of the, of the tribulation, but toward the end of the tribulation, uh, we get this picture. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. Well, if the sun is darkened, the moon cannot give its light. The stars will fall from heaven. And the powers of heavens and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. In Luke 21, he says this, verses 25 and 26, he says, There will be signs in the sun 
in the moon and in the stars and on the earth, distress of nations with perplexity. It's not just distress, but distress with perplexity. People will be distressed over what's happening, but they will be perplexed, just completely not knowing what's going on. It doesn't matter how much we have done in, 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 uh, in, in our building up of the greatest computers of all and having all kinds of knowledge going this way and that way. It doesn't matter what technological advances we have. No one will know why these things are happening except those who have read the Word of God and know that God is judging the world. He says, the seas and the waves roaring, men's hearts failing them for fear, and the expectation of those things which are coming on the earth for the powers of heaven will be shaken. What is burdensome today is the attitude of man as the scriptures describe for us, and Jesus attests to this. Turn to John chapter 3. We're almost done here. But turn to John chapter 3 and look at verse 19. I didn't give you verse 26, but there it is. Men's hearts failing from fear and the expectation of those things which are coming. Now look at John 3, 19. And this is the condemnation. That the light has come into the world. And men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. You want darkness? I'll give you darkness. But notice what he says in verse 20. For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. We've said time and time again that while many people call themselves atheists, God knows better. God never calls them atheists. In reality, there are no atheists in the world. Everybody knows that there's a God. Why is it when we read on in the book of Revelation that there is coming a time when people who are so-called unbelievers will turn their fists toward God? Do they not know that there's a God? They just choose not to follow Him? They choose not to follow the light that was given, which is Jesus Christ. Read John chapter 1 tonight. Where it talks about in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And it it goes on to talk about the fact that he, he, He was the light that came into this world. But man loved darkness rather than the light. Verse 21. But he who does the truth comes to the light. That, the, that his deeds may be clearly seen, that they have been done in God. So you can have deeds that are done in the world, or you can have deeds that are done in God. Which, which is best? Which is best to follow? The deeds that are done in God. The deeds that are done for God. The deeds that, the deeds that are done with God are so much better. These trumpets reveal the severity of God's judgment. He attacks the essential resources for man's sustenance and sustenance and subsistence. Food and water. Attacked. He targets all the fundamental means of comfort and knowledge, such as light, the regular rhythm of days. That's all going to change because there's going to be so much darkness. 
all such will be thrown off kilter. While man has evolved into seeing these necessary aspects of the created order as impersonal, perpetual forces, the Lord during the great tribulation will proclaim His Lordship by disrupting humanism's norm. He will disrupt man's norm. You say, I don't exist, watch. Watch this. Pay attention. I gave you an opportunity, but you've chosen otherwise. Finally, the message of verse 13 is simple. You don't have to be a theologian to figure out that things are going to get a lot worse. Three more trumpet blasts to go, corresponding to the three woes the messenger of God is crying out, and as they sound forth, they will bring more devastating judgments upon the earth and upon man more than has ever been seen before. But I want to leave you with two last scriptures. The first one actually is, 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 uh, is supported by what we've studied today, and that's Revelation 6.17. For the great day of His wrath has come, and who is able to stand? Who will be able to stand in the wrath of God? How blessed and how thankful we should be that God has a plan for His church to take them out of the way because the devastation of the tribulation is going to be that great and that ominous and that destructive. We should praise God for that. Let God judge because He is just. Let God judge because He is righteous. And He alone can judge as He does. You want to stay here for all of this? I hope not. But I want to leave you with hope. Because here's the hope that was given to the ages. In Zephaniah 2, verse 3. While we have seen the judgments mentioned in Zephaniah, notice what God says. Through the prophet Zephaniah, he says, Seek the Lord, all you meek of the earth. Stop there and think of what Jesus said when he said, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are the meek who humble themselves before God and never pride themselves in what they know or who they are or what they have. Seek the Lord, all you meek of the earth, who have upheld His justice. You have let God be God. You have let Him Judge, you have let him show mercy, you have let him be gracious, and you have let him be compassionate, and you have let him be righteous. Seek righteousness. Seek humility. It may be that you will be hidden in the day of the Lord's anger. Well, if you love Jesus tonight, you will be hidden. Go back tonight and read First Thessalonians 4, verses 16 through 18, or 13 through 18. 
Read 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 51 and 52. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, you will be changed. And the corrupt will put on incorruption. And the mortal will put on immortality. God has offered His love, His mercy, His grace. We cannot bargain with God because His Word never changes. But He is a merciful God. We cannot accept God on our own terms because that does us no good. God has only one term, His. But He's given us the opportunity to accept Him and His truth and His Son and His Son's love and His Son's sacrifice and His Son's death and His Son's resurrection and His Son's victory. We share in the victory of Jesus Christ. Amen? So, there's still time to let people know that Jesus is alive. And He's coming again. And it's time to get ready. Shall we pray? Lord, we are thankful, so thankful,